0: Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 27. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. Our guest this episode is Tommy Giles Rogers, frontman of the band Between the Buried and Me. He is both the vocalist and keyboardist of the progressive metal band, and an accomplished solo artist. Extremely versatile, very prolific, and an all-around sweet guy. BT Bam, as they are sometimes abbreviated, actually covered Blackened on their covers record... uh, Which was released back in 2006. As always, I would like to ask you if you would be so kind, open up your Apple Podcast app and leave a five star rating and a nice little review for Speak and Destroy because that stuff matters. So here it is my conversation with Tommy Giles Rogers of Between the Buried and Me. This is Speak and Destroy. Metallica. Metallica. Are you familiar with the band Metallica?
1: I've heard of Metallica, yeah. This is awesome because I actually... I, I got to go back and kind of listen. You know, they're not... I love Metallica, but they're not the band I I go to all the time to listen to. So it was nice, you know, this past week to be like, I'm going to throw on Master Puppets and all that stuff. So.
0: Well, I think for some people, you know, it, they're just such a part of the fabric of our experience yeah. and the music landscape that even if you're not regularly listening, it's sort of like, you know, I don't throw on The Godfather 2 to go to sleep. But, yeah. But... Um, you know, it's a, it's a part of your film. life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start early days. What were kind of some of your first, uh, and not specific to Metallica, but just in general, kind of your first musical moments. Did you have, uh, people in your family that were into music that were musicians? Did you hear stuff around the house? What was your kind of early point of discovery? Um,
1: uh, my family wasn't that musical. Um, but my, Dad always listened to the radio, you know, classic rock radio. So I was exposed, you know, very early on to that world, which I just kind of heard throughout my whole life. And now now that's some of my favorite music, which is kind of cool. But um I don't know. I was really instantly drawn to 80s metal. Um That was like my first – I mean, I don't even know what turned me on to it. I, I assume it was MTV, you know. You know, my sister and I religiously watched hiphanger's ball, um, and that 's how I found out about music really was magazines that and then uh you know the the random like rock and roll shop in your town you know <laughs> which those existed back then um, you just <laughs> yes. you, you would talk to the employees and learn about music but yeah we, we, my sister and I were really in that world, and it was so rad because my mom was so supportive and she took us to all the shows, you know, so all those, all those bands we got to see for the most part. And, um, I mean, I, I guess Motley Crue was my first, you know, I remember getting, you know, their first cassette and, and that was really that, you know, from from then on, it was just kind of how I am now. I'm I'm constantly trying to discover something new and new bands and it just kind of evolved. And I think any, Young kid, you know, I was probably pretty young, like seven, eight, when I got into that stuff. And um, you know, you you naturally kind of progress into more aggressive. And you know, that's when Metallica came in the picture. I was like, okay, you know, I grew up with, you know, I love Motley Crue, I love all you know Skid Row, all that stuff. But this band's got some edge to it. Um, They're not wearing makeup. They're (laughs) You know, they look like dudes that, you know, skate and start fights, and it was cool, you know, and that was right when I was starting to take interest in playing guitar, and, you know, this past week when I've kind of listened to a lot of the old stuff, I I really realized how important Metallica was for my guitar playing, you know, they, I basically learned guitar through Metallica, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but, you know, all these songs, that's what I wanted to learn, you know, and that's what I learned. And my technique, you know, through good and bad was because of Metallica. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's, so, yeah. that's, a, that's incredible. Um, yeah. You know, you often hear some of the hard rock bands, particularly from that era referred to as gateway bands, you know, where yeah, it's like, exactly. Yeah. That takes you further and further. And one of the things that, I've always celebrated about Metallica and comes up a lot on this podcast is how much they celebrate their musical DNA. You know, yeah. and it, it's, uh I mean, the fact that, you know, their first couple of shows, I think there were almost as many Diamondhead songs as there were, <laughs> you know, I think there were more Diamondhead songs than yeah. Metallica songs. And it's like they, uh you know, they've always lifted up, you know, whether it's the Misfits or Motorhead or, You know they've been very uh, not just unapologetic,
1: but um,
0: almost aggressive
1: about putting out (laughs) there. Yeah, and and that was so cool. I mean, I I didn't really notice a lot of that, you know, at a young age. But now as I'm older, I mean, it's really cool how they they weren't embarrassed because I mean back then, like punk and metal, it was it was you know pretty segregated, and it was it's cool to see like these dudes. They were like we we fucking love punk and and it's part of our DNA and you know all these other bands, yeah, and they were they were those band's biggest promoters, which is cool because that just shows you they love music, I mean, yeah, and I don't know as a musician that I can totally relate to that, I think that's really 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 cool
0: what uh what record were they on when you discovered them, and what was your ah, uh,
1: uh, I was trying to think of that, I mean the The only record, because I wasn't super young, the only record I like remember release date and going to buy the tape was the Black Album. So it was somewhere between when Justice came out and Black Album.
0: Yeah, that's a good, it's um, a good sweet spot in there. Yeah, for me, yeah. it was just a little a little bit earlier. They were uh, the Garage Days EP was the current release, mm-hmm. and Justice was the record that I remember going to get on the street date. Yeah, so not too far apart.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, it, It's funny, the day that we're recording this episode, just uh, pure happenstance happens to be the anniversary of uh, the tragic death of Cliff Burton in 1986. And um, yeah, I believe I discovered the band in 1987. So it was kind of like, you know, right, right after that, that yeah. chapter had closed and a, a new chapter had opened for them. It's interesting talking about And for All and talking about bass players because obviously one of, uh, Jason Newstead's big contributions to Metallica is that riff in Blackened. Mm-hmm. And of course, between the buried and me, uh, you know, gosh, I guess 10 years ago now. God, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you got, you guys did a cover of Blackened. Yeah. Um,
1: why that song? Um, I don't know. There, there wasn't much discussion. I, I think. You know, for most of those songs, that record was pretty rushed in general. Um, you know, we kind of just each sent like our our top, you know, few songs that were like, "Oh, this would be cool," and and that was the one that kept coming up. Um, I don't know. I, I think it was it really showed what we love about Metallica, just you know the the thrash element, you know, the real fast part of Metallica, yet yeah, the really melodic. Um, metal riffs that they wrote, because they were so good, especially back then. With the, you know, even though it was super melodic and beautiful, it was still aggressive, you know. And, and I think that song definitely captured that. And we just wanted to do kind of an in, in-your-face in Metallica. I think, looking back, you know, where the band has come, I'm surprised we didn't pick one that was more. Um, you know, has clean stuff and heavy stuff. You know, some of those songs they had, but um, I'm kinda, I'm glad we did what we did. Yeah,
0: you know, and was, I love that it's the, the the first track on your cover record, just like it's the first track on Injustice.
1: Yeah, I think once we recorded it, and I remember that was fun, kind of figuring out how they did that intro, and we're like, God, oh, this is just so cool. We need to, you know, it's such a big part of our lives is that intro to yeah that album. I mean, it's such an important album. And so, yeah, it felt right.
0: Yeah. And I believe, uh, live that intro, you know, they they do it as like an intro tape. Oh, <laughs> like cool. They, don't, they yeah. don't recreate that live. But it's well, probably yeah, it's too a, hard. It's
1: a, it's a re- you know, a reversed part, which, you know, at that point of recording, we didn't, you know, we didn't know what we know now and God, it was so cool being like how they achieve that. And we're like, I think, you know, we had to flip, you know, flip their version. You know, reverse oh, wow. it and, yeah. and, and learn it. And it's like okay, so it's just this part reversed. Um, yes, yeah, it was simple, but it's just such a cool. You know, as everyone knows, it's such a cool sounding intro. Yeah, that that uh, first single from Danzig
0: 4, uh, "Can't Speak." Mm-hmm. That was another song on the record. Let it be captured. The main riff of that played backwards. Oh, cool! <laughs> and then, and then awesome. that became like the whole you know, anchor to let it be cat or to, uh, can't speak, which was then like the biggest song off of that record. So yeah, I love stuff like that. And I've been, uh, I'm a huge fan of the 1986, uh, box office bomb trick or treat. And that movie, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the, the, no, I'm not. Oh, (laughs) you gotta, you're about to go on the road. So you have no excuse not to watch it. (laughs) It's, um, uh, I'm going I'm to divert us into Trick-or-Treat. I think Metallica podcast listeners will, will either be stoked on this or, or should be educated about it. Uh, so <laughs> Trick-or-Treat was a uh, a movie uh came out in 1986, and it was uh, a couple of guys who were producers on Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Um, Another big producer, uh, you know, and you know what? God, such serendipity that I didn't even realize. This movie was was financed and shot in North Carolina. <laughs> oh, really? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, much like my favorite movie of all time, The Crow. It's also in North Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great um,
1: movie. So, I'm looking at this right now. It looks pretty awesome. Oh, dude,
0: yeah. So, so basically, um, it, it was a combination of factors where uh, – these, this big producer said, I want my own Freddy Krueger. I want like a horror franchise with like a supernatural, you know, killer or whatever. And these two Freddy's, Freddy's Revenge, uh, producers met with a writer who was a first time writer, never had anything made, who pitched this idea of uh, a uh, heavy metal rocker comes back from the dead via a backwards <laughs> message on a record.
1: That's awesome, <laughs> and uh, especially in that time when you know all those, you know trials were going on about that.
0: Yeah, there's even a scene with the uh, the rocker Sammy Kerr, the rocker of the film, uh, at uh, like a PMRC style hearing.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. It's Gene Gene Simmons is Gene this, Simmons huh? and Ozzy yeah. Osbourne both
0: have cameos in it. Um, That's great. Initially, they approached Gene Simmons about playing Sammy Kerr. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "No, I'd rather play uh, this local DJ character um, that's in it." And it's you know it's probably a couple of days' work for him. He's not in the movie very much. Uh, and Ozzy plays an evangelical, like televangelist preacher who's anti heavy metal. That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I was I'm a big nerd about that movie. And I, I was just reading recently actually that they didn't write dialogue for Ozzy uh, because he didn't have acting experience. They just let him riff. Uh, yeah. So it's all – every everything he says in the movie is improvised, and it's uh, – he's great. He's hilarious. And it's a, That's it's, a, it's a cameo, you know, but it's a, it's a yeah. great cameo. But, yeah, essentially, um, you know, the writer for the movie w- was kind of writing the main character, Eddie Weinbauer, uh, was very autobiographical. And it was basically, you know, he's this high school kid in North Carolina who's picked on by all the jocks and the bullies. Um, he's this, like, heavy metal nerd. And uh, Sammy Kerr is his, his, his idol, and Sammy Kerr dies uh, kind of early in the movie. And Sammy Kerr is, is from his hometown. There's that tie also. And, uh, and Sammy Kerr was, you know, bullied and everything as a kid and, and left North Carolina and became this big famous rock star and everything. So, yeah, he uh, Gene Simmons, the local DJ and friend of Sammy Kerr, gives Eddie the main character, um, in, uh, what do what they call it, an acetate? The like studio demo vinyl from back in the day, um, of Sammy Kerr's final unreleased album that uh, he's going to be playing on the radio at midnight on Halloween, and yeah, Eddie takes that record home and discovers there's backwards messages on there, and, <laughs> and basically summons Sa- Sammy Kerr back from the dead, and Sammy Kerr proceeds to uh, start murdering the high school bullies and. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's a great storyline,
0: right? And uh, yeah, and it was it was a flop, uh, and it, and it's definitely taken on like a cult, yeah. Uh, you know, and the um, the main actor in the movie, Mark Price, played Skippy, the next door neighbor on Family Ties, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like you know Michael J. Fox is going from Family Ties into making these big movies, and I mean it was the year after Back to the Future, oh, you know? okay. and it's like oh yeah, now it's you now it's Skippy's turn Here's Skippy's big uh, movie vehicle. And then it was kind of like, you know, and nobody like, cared. That was kind of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, I'm
1: sold. That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, dude. And there's a lot of, uh, you may even be familiar with some of the locations cause it was all shot there. You know, some of its sets on a soundstage there, but, uh, there were two different high schools that both played quote unquote, the, uh, fictitious high school in the movie. And, um, yeah, you may even put it on and be like, Oh, I know that street or <laughs> it's know, crazy, whatever. Man. Um, yeah. So ba- backwards messaging. That's how we got on that tangent. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a podcast. It's, it's tangents galore. Hey,
1: it's, it's totally fine.
0: Uh, so do you remember then, you know, as a, as an avid watcher of, of Headbangers Ball and being in that sort of mid period, uh, pre black album, uh, did you see the one video on MTV? Oh yeah. Was that kind of, yeah. was that the, was that the entry point or do you remember what your first,
1: ah, uh, I, I don't know. Cause I remember I had, uh, I mean, I think it was the earlier stuff, like Ride to Lightning, um, Kill Em All, because I remember, I have a bad memory, by the way, but I, I do remember my friend and I listening to Kill Em All, and I would, for some reason, I would overdub the guitar solos with my mouth. <laughs> I wish I had it, and, you know, I would ruin the tape. And, um, yeah, we would just sit there and be like, <laughs> That whole thing, but I remember doing that. Ah, I can't remember the entry point, man. But, but, you I, were, you were but I remember the uh, translate yeah, notes by doing. Yeah, that. ex- yeah. exactly. That, that's what gave me my ear. Um, but yeah, I remember the the older albums. So I, someone musta. You know, I kind of grew up playing with. Um, I, I met this band called The Beast. That kind of I learned how to play guitar through their guitarist and. They were just a small band uh, in North Carolina that became friends with my mom and and, and my sister and I. And I, I assume that's how I found out, out about them because they were like my entry into into music in general, like all the '80s metal stuff, you know, between them and Hepburners Ball and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I wish I had like a entry point story, but I, I can't remember it if there is one.
0: What stands out to you about thinking back about kind of teaching yourself guitar and, and learning a lot of those um, Metallica songs?
1: Well, one thing that it, that kind of bit me in the ass later, um, was, uh, I always read that Hetfield downpicked everything and, and, you know, they're very notorious for their fast chugging wrists. So I would, you know, my right, I'm pretty fast right hand because of that. But later on, you know, riding with Paul, you know, in the early days of Between the Bear to Me, there, there was riffs I couldn't play because I was trying to literally downpick everything. And I had to kind of relearn how to alternate pick, you know, slower stuff. And uh it, it kind of messed me up for a little bit. But it was because, you know, I, I, I just read that Hetfield downpicked everything. And, you know, it's pretty funny thinking about that. Like er- everything I learned was – That was all I really wanted to learn was Metallica songs. You know, when I first picked up a guitar, there was a few like crew songs that I learned. But, you know, Metallica was like the Bible for guitarists at my age at that point, you know, and I I, I was never really formally taught. So, you know, I would get the magazines that had the tablature in it or the. You know, I think I even bought a few of the books um, back when they had those you know at the local music shops and yeah I just I loved playing along as best as I could to those records and you know, to this day, you know some of the guitar work on those albums are just phenomenal and uh, I'm not the best guitarist, but it definitely taught me a, a lot and I think a lot of my style, my writing style, that people may or not may know or not know you know stuff i write but you know metallica's in there some way or another especially with heavy stuff so i look back and, and i'm really appreciative of of that era of what they did and how i learned it you know
0: yeah that right hand of james hetfield uh you know him and him and dame mustaine their mm-hmm. particular style of, of guitar playing that they and obviously you know they had ACDC and Led Zeppelin and yeah, Aerosmith. I, did, and-
1: I just wouldn't really, you know, I'd heard that stuff through, you know, classic rock radio, but that stuff, I don't know. I was so close-minded then anyway. Um, it, it wasn't heavy enough for me. So, you know, Metallica was it. And Yeah, and there's you know, something and I, about the remember, way
0: those guys translated those influences that spoke to people like you and I yeah. that their predecessors hadn't connected with us yet.
1: Yeah, and it's cool to hear now, I mean, because a lot of that stuff I didn't pick up on ever back then. Yeah, immediately. You know? And to, and, yeah. and to listen now, you totally, you know, even this last week, I, I would pick up things like that. I'm like, God, it's it's just cool to hear. And, you know, Megadeth also, you know, they were in that world with me. I just, I wasn't good enough. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah, this, the I world state-of-the-art like, speed metal band. The, yeah, yeah. N- no offense to, you know, Metallica, but like. Hangar 18 and, you know, anything, Rust in Peace, I was just like, I want to play this stuff, but it's so, you know, Marty Friedman's just, that's some next level stuff there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and um, then you had, you know, prior to that, you know, Gar Samuelson and Chris Poland, who were literally yeah. literally jazz guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> were
0: like, okay, it's the guy from Metallica and then these jazz guys <laughs> doing yeah. speed metal.
1: Yeah, I know. Which, it, it worked, man, although, you know, those, those records are phenomenal as well.
0: Do you remember your uh, first Metallica gig?
1: Dude, I've never seen Metallica play.
0: Wow, well, we got to change that. <laughs> I know.
1: Well, I was supposed, We're doing that to, together. See, I was supposed to see them – I forget what – it was probably Black Album Tour. It was when James – they had to cancel. I remember that. Um, I can't remember if it was when he, the pyro thing happened with James.
0: Yeah, that was the uh... – It must have
1: have been. I don't know. I just remembered I was supposed to go for some reason. It didn't happen, and then they canceled. So I wasn't that distraught because of that. Um, But that was the only opportunity, which is weird because I've seen it's. I've seen all the bands in that era. Like they're the one, and not to be like the old, you know, jaded dickhead. But now I'm like, eh. They're they're like old dudes now. I, I missed it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're still uh, they're bringing it on like a U two level these days. That's what,
1: that's what I hear. I mean, I hear. I mean, the the you know, regardless of your opinion of their later material, um, I hear they're just phenomenal live. And I and I think that's a beautiful thing about music in general. Is like you know, I have a real problem with people. You know, bands that have a a very long career, like Metallica, they're going to change. They're going to go through life changes. They're going to change as people. Um, they're so naturally their music is going to change, and for people to like not like the band anymore in general, it has always been ridiculous to me. Even, let's say a band like Opeth, a lot of people are like, oh, they're not heavy. He doesn't scream anymore, so I don't like the band. But it's like, dude, those records still exist. Yeah, they're still gonna they're still gonna play those albums. They should still. You know, and, and Metallica is the same way. I don't celebrate their newer material, but I love those old records and I would love to see them live. And I keep hearing their phenomenal live. It's an experience. Um, yeah. And on, yeah. And
0: on any, uh, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to see them in recent years, uh, you know, at the Rose Bowl, which is like as big as it can get. But then also, yeah. um, you know, I saw them do a charity gig at the Fonda in LA, which is like a, you know, 1,300 cap room or something. That's awesome, yeah. And I saw them in a at Crackles Comedy Club in San Diego a few years ago. They did a show around Comic Con, and that's another like you know thousand cap room or whatever. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's a different experience, obviously.
1: Um, relative, it's to impressive setting, to but... see, you know, because I, I I I follow them in the sense of I go to news sites and I see things. Um, it's very impressive to see their work ethic where they are now just because they don't have to do it. Yeah. Um. It's, you know, it's so cool to see them do all, you know, the smaller shows and, and tour as much as they tour, you know, yeah. they're not old, old, but you can tell they still love doing what they do, you know, which is, and
0: they put up every single show, soundboard recordings, um, on yeah. their website and they, uh, that's, yeah, that's cool. man. And, and the work ethic. Yeah. I mean, they put out a music video for every song on the most recent record. That's
1: crazy! <laughs> I didn't did, know like, that. That's an crazy. An enormous
0: press blitz—like they were everywhere, press-wise. Like, yeah, Props like, to them. Like you said, I, they I don't. don't have to do that. that sounds horrible.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would hate to do that. That's cool, man.
0: Yeah, and they've created such a self-contained thing between their uh, HQ. You know, in the bay, their their compound, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know they renegotiated their deal in the '90s at some point, um, and got all of their masters back a few years ago as a result. That's cool. And uh, yeah, so everything's you know blackened recordings. (laughs) Speaking of blackened, yeah. Um, so what was uh, I don't know, the most challenging, maybe, uh, the most fun. When you were kind of reverse engineering those Metallica songs and learning guitar, does anything kind of stand out as like super hard to kind of push through, or?
1: Well, any any of the melodic stuff, just because I didn't grow up playing anything like that. You know, I grew up just chugging away, you know, playing metal and and all that. So any of the more, you know, I, I wouldn't say you know it sounds a like. talk. They're not ballads, but they're, you know. They have the 12 strings and, you know, the fade, the fade the belt, fade the blacks and all that. Yeah. The first time Uh, that
0: people said they sold out and they weren't good anymore.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which (laughs) before
0: our time, you know, we were in, I I was in elementary school.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But I, but I could see why, you know, those fans were like, Oh, this isn't, you know, Metallica. We've all been through those phases in life where we're, you know, idiots in in regards to that. Um, but yeah, those songs for sure were the ones that. You know, I struggle with but I'm glad I, I kinda sorta learned I wouldn't say I learned to perfection by any means, but um you know, I not even thinking about it, I kinda see those songs as kind of gateways into the more melodic side of you know where I've gone musically, you know, because now you know, that's a that's a big part of my life. So um of course. you know, I think just those those melodies and um you know, how they arrange those songs. They're, they're in my DNA, even if I don't notice it, I think, just because of how how much I digested it. I mean, I, the, the thing about, you know, I'm sure it was the same with you, the, those records, you, you didn't have hundreds and hundreds of, of records, A, because you couldn't afford it, and B, you know, you didn't have the time because... It's not like you're listening to it on your phone or something. So, I mean, you had your your handful of records and you listened to them so much that you should have grown tired of tired of them, but you didn't, you know. So I think all those albums are, are such a part of all of our DNAs because of how much we listen to them, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: So it, it's cool to think about that because, I mean, it's, it's very rare that there's albums now that I listen to you know, four times in a day, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that, I can't remember last time that's happened, but you know, that was, you know, that was what I did, you know, I'd sit in my room and just listen. So, and I it, love it's, I, it's in there. I love the point
0: that you brought up about, um, about, uh, Opeth, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, Opeth Metallica kiss, uh, you know, for bands like that and, Their diehard fans, it's always such an exciting and vibrant and engaging conversation around the catalog. Like, I have Mm -hmm. so much respect and admiration for bands that build a body of work that can be sort of debated, and you know, and there's the records that you cherish uh, above others for various reasons and some of that is just time place and circumstance of your own life
1: I think that's a huge part of it yeah yeah.
0: Um, and then there's the records that pe- that are kind of the black sheep and then there's like you know something that you love that nobody else does and uh, you know that came up in conversation you know a couple of nights ago when I had uh, Ace at my Q&A series at Musicians Institute um, somebody asked a question about uh, or you know what actually Ace brought it up we started talking about The Elder which was like you know black sheep Kiss concept album,
1: and, dude. Uh, I side note, I'm I'm not a Kiss fan. You know, I didn't really grow up with them. I, I was turned on to them because of Pantera. I was a huge Pantera fan. Right. But they were just, yeah. They weren't heavy enough for me, but I love the Elder. There <laughs> like, you go. <laughs> it's, it's, but but I wasn't exposed to much else. My my wife Jessica actually, she was like, "Have you not heard their concept record?" I was just like, "No." They had a concept record. I think it was when we were writing. You know, Como, which was a a, a big concept record. I was just
0: about to say, it, I mean, it, it's not shocking that that's the KISS record that you just discovered. Yeah, exactly. And I
1: was like, oh, this is, I, I think it was because, mainly because it's KISS. I had no clue they had anything like that in yeah. them. And, you know, I have the record. I don't have any KISS record except I found that record. I was like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah, so, it's, um, it's
0: one of those moments where, you know everything converged to make that record happen. And it's like, and a, I'm sure the fans blight.
1: flipped out. Yeah. I mean, fan, can... Fans hate yeah. it, but it was, yeah. but it was funny
0: because Ace brought it up, uh, that there's, there's a lot about it that he likes. <laughs> That's know, awesome. Back. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously Metallica is, I think, uh, arguably the most kind of hotly contested and talked about and debated band of all, uh, when it comes yeah. to heavier rock and metal, um for that very reason you know there's uh, it's interesting uh amongst metallica fans where the various drop offs are you know mm-hmm. cuz uh for example people of of a certain generation you know maybe the black album was the last album that they really loved and and for other people it was justice and and people look at justice as a holy grail album yep and i remember for me you know, when I was a freshman in high school and I was a metal kid and I was, you know, a few months away from going from metal to hardcore and all that stuff. Um, when Injustice for All came out, none of the metal kids liked it. It was Man. like, yeah, like, there's two good songs. Yeah. Dyer's <laughs> even blackened. The rest of it, oh, it's, <laughs> it's boring and it doesn't sound good and it's too mechanical. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, once Cliff was gone, that was it. Mm-hmm. And so it's always interesting to me, sort of, uh, where people land on that map for you. Was it a, uh, was it kind of post black album as you're moving into um, other stuff? And
1: yeah, black album was the last one for me. Um, I still love that record. I, think,
0: oh, it, I mean, it's a literally perfect album.
1: <laughs> it's a phenomenal record. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot, some people don't like you were saying justice was the last one, but yeah, the black album for me was the last one um, from there nothing interests me um you know i thought a lot about it this week because i knew we were having this discussion you know i kind of i kind of look at it from a a musician standpoint or someone that's been in a band for a long time and you know it's like what i was talking about earlier you know i think they they took a path that felt right to them and i commend that and i think you know I feel like those records, especially after Black and or the Black album, they sound genuine. And I think at the end yes. of the day, at the end of the day, that's what makes a good band a good band is if they're, you know, being genuine to the audience. And I think those albums are. Um, but I also think that's what turns me off to the, even the later material, is that part of it to me sounds like they were trying to emulate old material for the sake of people that are like, I don't – I miss the old albums. I don't like, you know, this record or that record. Um, But I don't know. I just think their work ethic, their – you know, how genuine it sounds, their risks, they took risks, which is commendable. Um, You know, the Lou Reed thing, I didn't enjoy, but the fact that they did it is cool. Same. Yeah, um, exact same feeling about. You know, it. I, I, you know, they did that thing with the classical pianist guy with one. I mean, they've do, they did the the full feature movie. I mean, it's yeah. it's cool that they have this drive to try new things in their world. Not everything is going to work. I mean, I think we've all been there. But you got, but they're kind of showing bands, you know, that you need to try it. And I, and I think that's, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, regardless of how I feel about certain records or how I connect with certain records, um, you know, I think it's impressive what they've done, regardless of, you know, opinions about actual music.
0: It's interesting the point you make about the. The later stuff, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I, I mean, you and I are, are certainly in agreement when it comes to the 90s, because oftentimes the criticism you would hear was, oh, they were chasing trends and playing Lollapalooza and cutting their hair and whatever. And I've always uh, argued that whether you like that era or not, it was a continuation of Metallica's yeah. uh, sort of, you know, against the grain, yeah. um, anti-trend sort of uh attitude i mean they they knew that those were huge risks as much as anything else you know oh was... any
1: anybody that you have a fan base you you know when you're kind of you know taking a dagger to them a little bit i mean i think anybody that writes music you know when you're taking risks and you know you're gonna get shit for it and i mean that's on a grand scale like a huge especially after the black album which is I mean I don't know statistics but it's got to be like one of the best selling heavy records ever the, yeah
0: it is the biggest selling album of the soundscan era yeah that's crazy yeah, i six, mean 16 so and a half million i think i don't think
1: people can <clears throat> in the us i don't think people can even grasp that kind of pressure and for them to take the risks they took right after that moment is pretty i mean that's impressive man
0: yeah, and uh, it's interesting the point you made about this stuff sort of more recently, uh, you know, when the, new, when the Star Wars movie started up again,
1: mm-hmm.
0: my review of uh, the first J.J. Abrams movie, the headline was, The Force Awakens is the Death Magnetic of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, exactly for some of the reasons that you mentioned where there's, yeah. um, it's everything you wanted it to be in the sense of like, oh, this feels like Star Wars again. Yeah. Uh but it was also so for me it left me a bit cold because it was also so sort of intentionally you know fan service uh echoing. Yeah. You know. That's a it's a yeah. tough
1: thing for me especially with bands from that era that are still around. Um, cuz it, it I mean obviously you're you're trying to make a living. You're trying to cater to your diehard fans because you appreciate them. Um I don't know. But so you know like you said with with Death Magnetic I'm listening to it. I'm like, "Okay, yeah, there's thrash beats. Yeah, it's aggressive." Um but if I'm sitting down to listen to Metallica, is this what I want to listen to or do I do I want to put on Injustice or you know, something else? And and that's what's tough for me is like that's the question I ask myself like what would, would I ever listen to this when it's time to have my Metallica moment? And and No offense to anyone, but the answer is no. Um, And I don't know if it's nostalgia with the old records, but I don't know. I feel like I like Death Magnetic more than like and those albums, but it doesn't sound as genuine to me.
0: No, I know. I I think that's such such an important point. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, clearly... The Force Awakens is a better movie than any of the Star Wars prequels in the in in the sense of, of being a film, you know, like yeah. uh the the directing, the acting, the dialogue, the you know, uh you name it. Uh and yet I have a greater appreciation, I uh, know this really upsets people. Uh I, I have a greater appreciation for the prequels than I do the Force Awakens at this point. Um, because I recognize that authenticity and Spirit in Lucas, that you know, for me, art is always about intention, and yeah. that doesn't mean it's going to turn out awesome, and it doesn't mean I'm going to connect with it. And just as you said, I, I've always saluted the idea of the Lou Reed thing. I'm not a Lou mm-hmm. Reed fan, I'm not like a you know, uh, yeah, same, yeah, velvet underground dude. Um, my take, and I've said this on the podcast before, so I'll make it quick, but I always felt like doing it and taking the chance and getting together and uh, you know, after they I met, I believe, at the rock hall. Um great, do it. But it to me it should have been one of those things that then gets put on a shelf. Yeah. And someday when, you know, the band's no longer making records or touring or or God forbid, you know, there's a significant lineup change or someone passes away and you start putting out those legacy releases. That's when you go, Oh, by the way, one one time Metallica did this weird like art album with Lou Reed that's based on like a German <laughs> opera or whatever, you know, yeah. like, and then that comes out as this like curiosity. And, yeah. I, and I, and I think it actually would have had a better chance of, uh, being yeah, received in that yeah context. that's a good
1: point. That's yeah. a good point. I mean, the the thing about stuff like that is, you know, I feel like that's one of those, those albums for them that they just had to do. It was something that came up to like, let's try it. I'm sure they knew at some point you know, this isn't going to work for most people, but it's one of those deathbed records where you know they're going to be old at some point and they're going to look back and be like, "I'm glad I did that, regardless of success, regardless of you know the, the backlash we got from it." Um, but I'm glad we did it because we needed to try that, and I think that's what it's all about, man. And 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 I, it's it's cool to see that. At the level they are, because I think they're in a great position creatively that they can, you know, they can't go too crazy with uh, experimentation, but they can experiment in, in that sense and still be accepted for who they are because they're Metallica, because they're still playing shows and playing these these albums and songs that people love, and they're playing them well. Um, so yeah, it's just. I don't know. I, I had this small period where I had a, such a bad taste in my mouth with their later material, but now that I kind of really analyze it, it's I back it. You know, I, I don't I don't listen to it. I don't want to listen to it, but it's I I appreciate for their sake what they've done.
0: And it's always interesting to me talking with musicians, especially like yourself, who have had uh, at this point. A long career and have been able to sustain uh, the the business side of it, and mm-hmm. uh, have taken creative risks and and taking your fans on an adventure and a journey. I think that it's always interesting that perspective that you gain, where you remember, you know, when you were a fan and uh, when you were a kid and. Bands you loved, changed, and evolved, and did different yeah. things, and then suddenly you find yourself in that same position, and you 're like, "Oh, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> I it, it. It, yeah, I mean even though it 's such a different scale it 's all very similar I mean for me, you know the time and place thing you brought up earlier is is such a great point because you know like we're talking about these early records, we were in these this place where you 're young you 're searching for new things, you know, and these records come out, and they just change your life and you know, for someone like me that's had a long career, you know, I meet these kids that, you know, they have these albums that are super dear to them. But I'm like, what? You know, you naturally like, well, what about our new stuff? You know, because the, the new stuff is what matters to me because right. you know you put this time and energy and all this work into it. And that but and then, the new but, stuff
0: is who you are now and what you have exactly. To say now, exactly. You're like, why are you so attached to who I was when I was 19 or what? You know.
1: Exactly. But you, but when you step back and you think of yourself as a fan you're like oh okay they were probably going through some shit then or it was at a time in their life where they hadn't heard a band like us and we were kind of we kind of helped them we nudged them in a direction that maybe they are now even musically where they are now so you have to kind of you know time and place is a huge part in music um you know either a record gets you through you know a moment in your life or it steers you in a path you know, musically, or, or you know, musically as far as your taste goes. To, um, but yeah, I, I think that's such a good point, and I think it's important for musicians to try. You know, think about that when you're when you get in those moments where you're down on yourself and you're like, oh, we keep seeing all this shit online <laughs> about <laughs> yeah. you know how how we don't sound like we used to." But that's a good thing. That that means that you've evolved. You're not doing the same thing over and over and and these people they've grown they've changed you know it's anything over a 15 20 year period you know a lot goes on in that time and a lot of growing up and, and changes happen in people's lives and you know metallica experienced that on a grand grand scale and they're still experiencing that and but i'm sure that's that's cool for them to see all these generations and and seeing it passed down you know, from generation to generation, and and seeing what still resonates with, you know, people of certain ages, ages, and I'm sure it changes depending on what generation. Um, so I'm sure that's re- that's really interesting on their end.
0: Yeah, when you think about the fact that, uh, you know, Load passed its 20th anniversary.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, because to me, that's still like the newer record. <laughs> right. Right. But, and, yeah. I mean, but when I do think about when that came out, you know, that was a long time ago, man. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And there's people who are 20
0: years old where it's like, yeah.
1: you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's
0: like, you know, early black Sabbath or something to them would be to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's all, it's really fascinating to me that sort of, uh, the perspective that you gain and, uh, you know, as, as a journalist, um, that was something I really started to kind of hone in on having had that, the different experience of, of being in a band once upon a time myself and, and managing bands and, and being a journalist, um, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to name names cause I, I'm not, this is nothing personal about this particular band, but it's an mm-hmm. example of something I ran into a lot a few years back. Uh, gosh, I guess 10 years ago at this point, I was on the road with a band doing a cover story on them. And they were a very big band at that time in that moment in that, in that, uh, Warped Tour Hot Topic scene mm-hmm. um, and they had, you know, their crowd was just, you know, an endless sea of uh, teenage girls and guys in like, you know, this was the era of like the glow shirts with like a unicorn vomiting a rainbow into ice cream <laughs> or whatever. like yeah, yeah. Um, And they were just the kings of that scene, right? And um, really coming up and I spent a week on the road with these guys doing this story and all they wanted to talk about was how, you know, they were embarrassed basically that they had these like little kids as their fans Mm -hmm. and that they weren't taken seriously as musicians or as a a heavy band and, um, how their favorite bands were converge and like all the, you know, all this cred stuff. And they really wanted to, you know, their next record, they're really going to make a statement about this, that, and the other. And, um, their goal, you know, one of the poll quotes in the story was one of the guys in the band said, um, I want fat bearded 30-year-old dudes drinking beer at our shows. <laughs> um, and it was this whole thing, right? And uh, and there were just, so, just endless conversations about it. So towards the end of, of the week that I was on the road with them, uh, one of the guys in their crew, uh, they had nicknamed him Throwdown. And at one point I was like, Hey, hey! So why do you get? Why do you call that guy Throwdown? And they were like, Oh, because he's just, you know, he's just like this hilarious, like shitty, like mosh kid. Like his his ringtone was this Throwdown song, and like whenever <laughs> his phone rings, we all start moshing. And um, and I was like, Oh, it's interesting, you know, because I, uh, you know, Dave Peters from Throwdown is my my best friend. I was you know the best man in his wedding, and I've been the band's manager for years and years. And and this kid from the band is like, Oh. Wow, dude, that's amazing. Yeah, I used to, I used to love those guys, man. I used to love all that Trustkill Records and Ferret and, you know, and bands like Throwdown and Terror and Madball and all that would like come to my town. I was super stoked and, and then without any hint of irony or self awareness, he says very sincerely, what happened to those guys, man? Like they, they went all like metal. <laughs> and that was uh, and I don't say this to call anyone out I I it was yeah. kind of the first time that I really noticed and then I started noticing it. <laughs> you know, I started funny. seeing it uh band after band after band I kept finding myself in those situations where there was like a real you know force for the trees um
1: And that's weird cuz that know. era those bands I, I never really saw them as of you know they evolved but I don't think their sound changed that much to be like Oh, I don't know. But that's, those fans—that's fans that's pretty funny. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: and then of course, you know, and then Throwdown went through so much evolution, and then did a uh, kind of throwback record for the fans. Like, okay, this is the this is what everybody's been asking for. Yeah. And then there was a contingent of the fans online who complained that it didn't sound like the <laughs> the record <laughs> before it that was like you know had Gosh. the hits on Octane. So and that's the
1: thing, I mean you can't win. No,
0: you can't, which is why it, it's gotta be like you said, that um that authenticity and that and that intention and that sort of purpose of uh doing what matters to you, which I think yeah, is. the thing and that I Metallica think I mean even even with
1: i think even within bands you, you get in these moments where you're trying to like you said, that band was trying to analyze their fan base and you know, the grass is always greener kind of idea like yeah. oh, I wish we had these. I mean I think every band you just Everyone has that, I think. Um, cause at the end of the day, you want to be cool. You want to have cred amongst yeah. your peers. You hey, want, at the, at the, at the you height. want your idols. You know, I want Tom York to listen to my records, but you <laughs> right. know, it's, you know, but I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, I guess you're either grounded or not. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. No, point. no,
0: you're right. I mean, it, <laughs> <and> it's, uh, <laughs> I always think about, um, certain bands like you said you always uh, you know at the height of dashboard confessional you know like mm-hmm. 2003 um you know gold platinum records and mtv success and all this stuff and i was doing a cover story his whole camp at the time uh, forbid me to use the word emo in my interview. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> it was just like, you know, and still to this day, what do you think about? It? You're like, oh, they were like the defining kings they were, yeah, of exactly. that, you know, but, yeah. uh, and again, it's not to throw Chris under the bus. He's a great guy, super talented artist, but he, all he did the entire time he was king of that mountain was bristle against it and wish that people saw him how he saw himself and didn't pigeonhole him in this, like, scene that he's embarrassed by.
1: Yeah. And they, and he wants people to, like hear me now, like this is what I'm doing now. Yes, but yes, But the time and place thing comes in play, and a lot of those people that was a those old songs were important in their lives, so that's yeah. what they care about. So yeah, and, and this, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's tough, man.
0: And the whole configuration was important, you know, because I remember when it was like, yeah, it's just it's just him and an acoustic guitar and blah 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 blah, and then like suddenly he's got a band and he's working with like the Counting Crows producer and and all those kids are like, what is this? This isn't what I, and it's that same feeling I think of like Jason Newstead kind of says in the Metallica behind the music once upon a time, he's like, yeah, I understand that if you're holding a copy of the black album and you're like, this is my Metallica. And then you pick up this new album and like, here we are in like, you know, Cuban, like smoking Cuban cigars and these like pimp suits. <laughs> you know, He's like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but on the flip side, I totally get what the band was trying to do in terms of, uh, aggressively sort of punk rock, like, um, changing and evolving and and saying like no we're all kinds of different things um and then i think eventually they sort of you know i would argue they they came back to themselves i mean i hardwired uh which i would definitely recommend to you um it's similar to death magnetic in the sense that it's um aggressive and thrashy and metal and you know not like the 90s um but it's also unlike death magnetic there's a big return to the uh some of the vocal harmonies and and the stuff that uh Heffield was doing on the black album and well yeah. lo- and I actually really love the record because it's a nice blend of uh you know it's the thing every band says about their new record but it really does kind of encompass all of the previous chapters. everything to do yeah. kind of in a in a, yeah and dude i'm 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 gonna blow you up with my uh load reload uh playlist where I can distill it to the songs that you should care about that I bet might actually connect with you now that you may have. I mean, it's
1: yeah. I mean, I can't remember. I mean, I probably haven't listened to any of that stuff since it came out.
0: Load oh, has it. a load has a top 10 all time Metallica song on it for me.
1: Really? Okay. How about that? Well, s- send it over. <laughs> and I'll um, I'll, gi- I'll give it a chance.
0: And by the way, I I set out to do this on every episode and I think I've only done it once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what's kind of your, uh, top five Metallica if you had to, if you had to, break songs,
1: song wise. Yeah. Ah, songs is tough. It's more albums. I'm, I'm an album guy. Oh, but that's easy. Um, man. if I was like your top 5 you it'd
0: be like the first yeah. five.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Top, top five. I mean, that's ah, there's cheap. so many good songs. I mean, I, I think like the, you know, I remember growing up the, those long instrumental songs were so important to me. Yes. Um, and I looked forward to them cause they normally did one on every album. um, I, I don't know, it's such a, I'd never heard anything like that. And and now, I don't know, I think that's a, in, in some way influences a lot of things I do now. Um, oh, and
0: I love that uh, kind of, you know, album sequencing was such a lost art now. And mm-hmm. I love how the second, third, and fourth Metallica records, like, so you know, all of them are, they're bookended by fast songs. Uh, the instrumental is yeah. kind of in the same place. The ballad's in the same place. The title track's in the same place. Um, I loved that uh, kind of meticulous, meticulous planning that they would do. It, it was yeah. so cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, dude, top five songs is... Uh, I, I don't know if I can even do it, man. I mean, even looking here, they're all good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, I... To kind of backtrack a second, I love the evolution of his voice. Um, you know, as a singer, I think it's cool to hear like the definite punk influence of the early days, but he kind of found—I feel like Master of Puppets is his vocal album for me um, because it's kind of in between, I guess you would say, his newer style and his older style. It just had such a good tone.
0: It's interesting to me, as someone, you know, how musical you are, and the the breadth of your what you do, you know, what your fans know that you do. I'm su- I'm surprised actually that you wouldn't say the Black album vocal wise. Yeah,
1: so. I, something about because I like the rawness in in his old style, um, and it's still there with Master of Puppets you know, Master, P- Master Puppets and Justice for Raw it's it's pretty close for me vocally. Um I love his vocals on you know the black album, but there's not that rawness um th- the punk kid that he obviously had in him I think kind of shines a little more in those other albums as well as his mature like I can sing voice um so I think that's why I think that
0: Let me let let me ask you this instead instead of trying to paint you in a top five corner. How about this? When you put on a guitar Mm -hmm. and you're you know distracted, maybe you're watching a movie or you're you know sitting on the bus and somebody's talking to you or whatever you know with your family, whatever the case may be. What's your go to like like if a Metallica riff is going to come out of your hands? Mm, What's the most common common one common riffs that you're going to be just sitting around jamming?
1: I mean, Fade to Black, for sure, is always, you know, a few riffs in that song. Um, Blackened is is one of those. Um, to this day, because I, I don't keep up with that stuff, you know, as far as guitar. So probably just, you know, One, I still remember a lot of One. Um, I mean, one's, one's up there for top songs, just as far as, you know, we're talking about the evolution of the band and you know i think that song is like at the very top of like creativity for me um in their sound you know i think one one is such a good you know some of the the hits on the black album aren't my favorite you know i love of wolf and man I yeah, think I'm a
0: big fan of Deep Cuts on the Black Album.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a good song. Dude, God, um, The God That Failed. is Yeah, The God That Failed. I feel like those songs, like if I listen to that record, those songs stick out to me more than um, the usuals. Well,
0: um, and I think we're uh, so familiar. I mean, that side A is like. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's it, it, the
1: radio songs, you know. Yeah. So, um, Dire's Eve always had a big impact on me.
0: That's a top 10 song for me,
1: for sure. Yeah. I mean, oh, it sounds so good. Master of Puppets. I mean, I think just the the diversity in that song.
0: I feel like Puppets and I mean, Jeff Death or maybe the two songs if you know, aliens arrive and they're like what is Metallica? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll get one shot. Yeah. I feel yeah, I feel death. like puppets or creeping death would be, be one of those two songs that I would play and say this is what Metallica is.
1: Yeah, I mean for me, all all those top songs are probably between Black Album and Justice for All and Master of Puppets. I mean I love Ride the Lightning, but like I like I was saying earlier, like when you ask yourself like okay, here's my Metallica moment, what what do I want to listen to? You know, I, I normally don't throw on those first two records, even though they're phenomenal. They're great records. Um, but yeah. And as far as those instrumental songs, I think Call of Cthulhu, whatever, however you say that. Yeah. Um I think that's one of the better. Oh, ones they spelled
0: sure. they spelled Cthulhu wrong, so you're under no obligations. So. Oh, really? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, which they laugh about now. And that's and they, good to hear because we, we've
1: we've all had those moments where you're going, exactly. oh, we should have asked some people if that was right or not. Yeah, uh, cool.
0: J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter creator, is having a moment like that right now, where she's getting she's getting burned on social media because she she named uh, Voldemort's snake. After a deity that she thought was from one part of the world, that's actually from another part of the world. Oh, crazy! And that's she's funny. Being, being roasted for being culturally insensitive and this and that. And it's like, you know what? People fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> like she, she yeah. created an entire fictional universe. Like, there's gonna yeah, be some God, there's there's going to be some loopholes here and there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. Oh, cool. Well, well awesome, I didn't man. answer it in order of five, but those were a few. No, oh, I got sure, we got the there.
0: Right. I got it out of you. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, and I would recommend. Uh, I mean, to everyone listening and to you as well, um, again, as a you know, I don't don't mean to keep patting you on the back, but as someone who is as accomplished as you are, um, the box sets they've been doing since they got the rights to their masters back, they've been releasing one by one these just magnificent, insane box sets for each album. Uh, uh, And Justice for All is is next in the queue. Um, Oh, cool. And they've done, you know, the first three albums and uh, they did one actually for the Garage Days EP too. Oh, cool. Um, That's awesome. But it's just, you know, aside from the fact that there's like a huge hardcover book with tons of photos and anecdotes and liners and all of that and tons and tons of live stuff and
1: yeah, it's cool that they demos. they do all that. I mean I remember even I meant to talk about this earlier, the 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 what was it, live shit Benjamin Purge yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean that that packaging I remember just kind of being in awe of it, you know, even when I was younger. Yeah. You know, like the road case. Oh, dude! I mean, for
0: for the fan club for years, uh, they did. It was a thing called, called the fan can that was like uh-huh. a like a little paint bucket <laughs> that you oh, got really? in the mail, and it had just all this stuff in it, and some of it would yeah. just be like. Here's a CD of them jamming on an Oasis song. <laughs> like, just, just the most random, just like literally, like the vaults. You and know? so, like,
1: what's so cool about that is, you know, we're this day and age, everybody's trying any and everything to be creative as far as stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know, making anyone care, any, you know, any shape or form. But it's so cool that they did all of that. At a point where they didn't need to do that, right? You know, they were selling a right. shitload of records, making a shitload of money. You know, they didn't need to do that at all. And God, I just remember, you know, the attention, the detail. You know, in particular that that box, you know, the the live shit, and it had the, you know, I think it had the VHS version. It had the different sets, and yeah. you know, I wore the, I wore that stuff out, man. And it was it was just presented in such a way that it was, it was kind of how people try to do things now, where like. Please buy me. Please buy me. This is right. Look, it looks cool. There's, you know, it it feels uh, personal to you. <laughs> you know, it yeah. feels you're hearing we things wrote, that maybe we wrote your you, name you feel like in you here. shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's cool to think about that at that era where yeah. when bands didn't have to do that. Oh they would man, just show, when they put out
0: B sides that were demos of you know yeah. Headfield head going la 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 la. You know, like I mean, I think amazing. that
1: was I, I think uh, th- they allowed. That stuff to be exposed is pretty, you know. Even that documentary, that yeah, uh, some kind of monster. is that's very instructive.
0: Like, well, I mean, dude, you're in a band. There's, a, is there a person? Dude, alive? I would
1: never. I would <laughs> yeah. never let if somebody filmed and I saw that much being exposed. Like, that, I can't release that. <laughs> like, yeah, kid, are yeah. you kidding me? But I mean, it's impre- They were like, man, eh, fuck it. It's it's what happened. It's who we are. And so many That's, people
0: connected to it, of course, especially people who have been in a, a band at any sort of professional level. Oh, but, yeah. but also people that are in other types of creative relationships. Yeah, you know? I
1: think any any rut, you know, be it in any f- form of life, you know, I, I think you can relate to what they were going through. You know, it, it was relationships and yeah. and them not meshing in that sense, and they weren't meshing musically. Um, so, yeah, and it's entertaining to boot. So <laughs> Yeah,
0: and and it's that thing like a lot of bands where it's like, you know, imagine getting married to somebody at 15 because you had one thing in common. Yeah. <laughs> and here yeah. you are, you know, you're 50, and you've been with this person more than anyone else in your life. And,
1: and, and it's, it's cool for them to kind of expose, you know, the normies that that is how it is too because I think, you know, a lot of people, you don't really think about that. Like being being in a band, you you know you love to dudes, but you, you know if you're in a long career, you're basically in this super close knit relationship with these other people. Yeah, and you're dealing with every everything life throws at you together. Um,
0: and no matter what you do to establish your own identity, whether that's a solo project or whatever, yeah,
1: you're uh, I mean you're linked to them forever. Yeah. You know, I Very mean, true. True. I mean,
0: Ace, Ace has done so much outside of Kiss, but of course half of our conversation the other night was about Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and I'm like sure ha- just... I'm
1: sure there's, I mean, obviously the diehards know it all, but I mean, there's, there's the people that have no clue about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? Uh, well, Tommy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You were so Thank you, man. I, I wanted
1: to get I, on here. So well, I'm glad thank we made you for it having me. I appreciate it, man.
0: Yeah. And, uh, where, uh, where can people see you in the coming months? I know you guys are going to Europe, and um, yeah, we're going got to Europe. A, speaking and, of solo the, projects, you have a solo thing on the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, um I have a new record coming out November. When are you putting this out? Putting this out? Because probably, I, the, probably in the
0: next yeah. couple of weeks, before November for sure.
1: Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I have a new record coming out November ninth. Um, yeah, two, just, two days just, after
0: my birthday. Happy birthday! to there me.
1: There you go. There you go. So yeah, and then the the band is uh, we're touring in Europe. And I guess first show is release date of my solo record, so nice. I'll, I'll be overseas for that. But yeah, I've got a lot going on. I'm excited for the world to hear what I'm doing and the band's doing. And yeah, who knows, man? We we take one thing at a time, so we'll see what the upcoming years bring.
0: Well, dude, seriously, thanks again. Uh, and I know you're busy right now, so that uh, it means all that much more that you took the time to do this. And No worries, man. Thanks, man. All right, thanks, brother. You can find Tommy Rogers on Twitter at TommyBTBam, that's Tommy B-T-B-A-M, and keep up with everything between The Buried in Me and with Tommy's solo work, and he also does a great job of sharing what he's listening to on a, I think, daily basis. You can keep up with Speak and Destroy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we are often posting all sorts of visual Metallica treats, the results of many years of Obsessive fandom and deep dive searching. We get into more detail about our guests and some of the topics discussed over at speakanddestroy.com And of course, please subscribe, leave us a five star rating, leave us a nice review, and check out past episodes with great guests like M. Shadows of Avenge Sevenfold, Rob Flynn of Machine Head, Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm, Blasco of Ozzy Osbourne's band. Gary Holt of Exodus and Slayer, Alex Skolnick of Testament, and many, many more. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.